Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Raw Ag is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins. Doug Avery is our guest on the Raw Ag podcast. Doug has battled depression and won. He has chained his black dog up in the back paddock and it is there that he intends it to stay. Doug is now helping other farmers in their fight with anxiety and depression. So here's the story of Doug Avery and some of his tools. Welcome to the Raw Ag podcast, Doug. Good to be here. Yeah, I haven't caught up with you for a while because of, you know, because of, you know what, COVID. And, um... Uh, it's always fun to catch up with you. And um, how are things going with you over there in NZ? Yeah, th- things are things are things are really good. Um, uh, and from a farming sense, uh, everyone's getting uh, better paid than they've been for years. Um, from a an environmental sense, uh, we did have a lot of dry weather in the earlier part of the year, but pretty much the whole of New Zealand's now swimming in water. And um, mud in the spring over here, we say mud in the spring, although that's not politically very correct. Uh, uh, mud in the winter, money in the spring. So I think New Zealand's really sell, set up well. Uh, where we're not doing so well is um, New Zealand's always relied on a lot of uh, young kids touring the world to do a lot of our work. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of um, RSE workers from the Pacific Islands and uh, those people aren't here. So the dairy industry, for instance, is between two and 4,000 um, hu- human beings short for the dairy season, and that'll have a, um, an incredibly bad impact on the well-being of our dairy farmers. Yeah, so Doug, you've um, um, sort of paved the way in um, bringing uh, farmers' well-being to the public arena in New Zealand um, tell us a bit about um, the, the the pathway that you got to get to where you are now and, and what you've been up to in that fr- on that front yeah no uh, that's that's right I uh, my background uh, was uh, 20 years ago I had five years suffering depression and um, that was in the face of a drought that lasted for eight years so when I go to Australia, um, Aussies don't think there's such a thing as a drought in New Zealand, but uh, I can assure you there is, and um, <clears throat> I suffered that. Uh, I got myself out of that, came back to win South Island Farmer of the Year and um, a whole lot of other environmental awards for the work that we did on land change and the like. And when I got that going, I uh, it was also with the uh, return home of my son onto the land, Fraser, who's won Marlborough Farmer of the Year recently and now is uh, one of New Zealand's leading sheep and beef farmers. Um, As I sort of started to button off running the place, I sort of found myself increasingly being asked to talk about farming systems because I'd developed a new system of agriculture on dryland farming um, built around Lucerne. after doing about I, I should have introduced I should have introduced you as Doug Lucerne Avery, shouldn't I really? Uh, in New Zealand I was called the Lucerne Lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy the guy's gone nuts. He's um, he's planting Lucerne all over his farm, but uh, actually what that did was it it created a solution for the um, for the farm that we owned. And that farm, when Wendy and I started on it, was 206 hectares, and we sold it to our son the other day. Uh, We were farming 2,500, so it's quite a – when sheep and beef farming's been heading south in New Zealand, we were heading north in a big way. And without going into it too too largely, what we effectively did is we found two steps of opportunity that hadn't been used before. The first one was – uh, Lucerne doubled the value of water. Uh, that's a pretty significant thing. The nitrification effect of of, of, um, of the legume doubled the value of water. So ryegrass produced 13 kilograms of dry matter 
per hectare per millimetre of rain. If you add uh, clover to the swath, it goes up to 18 kilograms of trimatter per millimetre of water. And if you put loose in and you get 28 kilograms. So that was the first um, step change. And then the next one that um, absolutely confirmed our opportunity to buy out all of our neighbours and get stuck in was it doubled the speed at which we finished our lambs. So we're now, according to Dr. Derek Moot, who's a um, senior uh, lecturer at Lincoln University, uh, the farming system that we now have is, has got the lowest emissions intensity of any that he knows in the globe. Uh, per kilogram of meat produced. So it's a pretty exciting future um, that we face. Um, so, so, Doug, how did you get from, you know, five years of depression and, you know, I've, um, I've, I know a bit about you, you know, you had a pretty rough trot there. Uh, how did you get from there to achieving what you achieved since? Uh, so so the, the, the starting day... Um, I, I turned to uh, numbing my my existence with alcohol. I was a community leader. I was chairman of this and chairman of that. I resigned from everything and decided that the um, the, the, the the an empty beer bottle was probably where my future lay. Uh, but then one day, a young sales rep grabbed me and dragged me off to uh, to Christchurch, very reluctantly, I might add, to a um, to a talk by Dr. Derek Moot, and I, our family had been growing Lucerne for 80 years, and I didn't want to go because I thought, well, what will he teach me? But within five minutes, I was learning new information uh, that connected a whole lot of dots, and so that rebirthed uh, hope. Um, I'd never realised that I didn't have hope, but all of a sudden I was hopeful. But at that stage, I hadn't developed that into a, an, a into a mind-saving process. I returned home from that and set out on my own, working on my own and trying to be the, the leader of everything was my male, ignorant, bloody self. Uh, set about putting this new thought and farming system into place. And then a couple of, uh, three years into that, uh, a very prestigious mentor, uh, a probably the best farmer in the area contacted me and said, look, you know, we've got to do something about this area. It's just a bloody disgrace. And um, he didn't know at the time, but the only reason I joined that was to, um, so I'd be working closer with him because I'd learned if you work with fellow human beings in some activity, you get a chance to drain their brains of their knowledge. Uh, that's exactly what happened. And we set up uh, with a government-funded initiative um, sustainable farming fund grant of a uh, quarter of a million dollars. We set up a multi-pronged science project in the area. And I must admit, I had no idea where the hell that was going to go. But that birthed in me uh, a complete renaissance of my own well-being. It, it reconnected me with people again. It dragged me out of the corner of my office where I used to drink it restored my sense of purpose and it restored my hope for the future. On the way, I picked up so many skills. I went from being a man who needed to be leading the front to one uh, who learned the, go the goose story, um, geese fly on a V. The front goose does all the hard work and the others get 71% more flying distance because they're in that formation. As they fly along, that's the aerodynamic effect. As they fly along, there's a lot of honking. It's the lazy bastards at the back saying, uh, you good bugger at the front, you keep flying, I'm getting a free ride. But the main honking <laughs> is others in the group saying, um, just yell when you need somebody to take your place at the front and you come and have a rest back in my place. Uh, Doug adapted, adopted the uh, goose formation and I've flown that ever since and that's been at the base of the um, of the resurrection of not only my life, but also my business. So we're now in a situation, Tom, where pretty much everybody that's got any ability would like to be an RV, <laughs> and most of them don't get an opportunity. Yeah, and you don't spend all the time at the front, but you would spend enough time to make sure that you're contributing to that group. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, as my son has risen uh, up through the ranks, he's doing the bulk of the flying, but he's learned that lesson. And so he'll never go down the track that I went, to, went down where I, um, I thought that I could make my way in the world with hard work. Uh, now I don't even try. I just work on smart work, and um, he he learned that lesson straight away because I didn't give him an opportunity not to. And so we decided that we needed to create a big a business that was big enough uh, that each human being in there could work at a reasonable pace, that each human being was surrounded by uh, educational growth, that each human being was being watched from uh, for from the other people, so that delivered the dynamic of putting reasonable demands on every person that goes out there, and the end result has been a flourishing in environmental outcomes, flourishing financial outcomes, and uh, f- flourishing social outcomes. So, Doug, you're um, in your time of depression, you were feeling hopeless, and then you came out of it through hope. Was there, was there anything else that was driving that? I mean, you've done a lot of work, I know, with other people, and um, there seems to be so much discontentment in ag, even though we live in beautiful areas and um, breathe fresh air and, and, and um, can enjoy the great outdoors. There is dis- discontentment there, and, and, and it's not all just hope, is it, or hopelessness? Oh, oh no, no, you've got to... Uh, so if you haven't got a platform that's based on reality... Um, you know, hope doesn't fly in fairy dust and, you know, in discontent in New Zealand at the moment would be um, cer- certainly anchored in fairy dust, uh, which comes from our uh, Prime Minister. Um, she's sort of the, the captain of the woke uh, for us rural people. But that aside, uh, the, the general direction that we're taking here in New Zealand is not wrong. Uh, we developed farming systems that have had an impact uh, on the environment, which is not as good as it should be, and we need to back off those and redevelop uh, processes on that. So the, the farming process that we've got is based on uh, natural nitrogen, uh, legumes fixing the nitrogen, and uh, that leaches 10%, uh, 90% less than artificial nitrogen. Uh, those processes of rapid lab lamb growth or rapid cattle growth mean that our emissions per unit of meat are way down, heading towards half. So animals of, uh, I represent New Zealand and South America and a greenhouse gas um, symposium, uh, they put me through the, um, the scientific laboratories here in New Zealand so that I was up to skill and, you know, they have animals living in... Um, in um, pens, which are com- all the gases that are given off a court measured. And so if you feed grass or if you feed lucid, uh, the emissions are exactly the same per kilogram of, of um, product eaten. But the difference is if your animals are growing twice as fast, uh, they are living for half the time to reach the same process. So... You know, our extreme greens over here don't want to hear stuff like that. They just force feed down um, gross emissions from transport, gross emissions from planes, and gross emissions from agriculture. A farm like ours, which has got all that root mass building in the soil, of course, we're adding hugely to deep soil carbons as well. Um, I'm imagining that our system, because we haven't proved it yet, but we're working on that at the moment that our system's actually been carbon neutral for years. Uh, so it's quite a, you know, it's kind of exciting that the, the hard part, Tom, is just how do you teach people who are so far astray in their reality? And uh, we had a big protest over here, the biggest protest in New Zealand since the Springbok tour. It was called a howl of a protest, and farmers took their utes, tractors, trucks, and dogs to town and I, I do believe it was somewhere between seventy and 100,000 people on the streets of New Zealand, very peacefully, I might add. Not like the French? Uh, no, we're trying. We, we, uh, <laughs> we, we learned from the French when we play the rugby that they kind of like to take your testicles out with their sprigs and things like that, <laughs> and that, that leaves a long mark in the brain. We want to uh, go to town 
uh, the placard that I had on my truck was We Care. And uh, I had another little placard which had Hugger Farmer, which I held out the window. And then underneath it, it said, I'll be available in two hours. And I've never had so many young girls rush across the street and hug an old man in my life. So I was, you can imagine what an element I was in. And you got hugged by a policeman too, didn't you? Yeah, you know, like the police over here are pretty, are pretty pissed off, uh, to excuse the language, but that's the best way. Um, the Prime Minister just allocated $3 million to one of the to the notorious mongrel mob who are the major meth dealers in New Zealand. And, you know, our police force, um, they're getting shot by guys like that um, when when the police try to interfere with their drug dealing. Well, she she gave the um, the, the mob uh, $3 million to, um, to help in a meth cleanup program. And on the surfaces, it looked okay, but then there was a... Um, uh, video that had been taken of the guy that uh, the government gave the money to and he was making it quite clear that he was like a mudguard. He's clean on the top but pretty dirty underneath. Doug, if we could just perhaps come back to farmer uh, mental health and, you know, as it is an issue in Australia as well, um, you spend, you're spending a quite a bit of time with farmers now as, on an individual basis, I understand it, um, in helping them in their times of need. That um, Can you tell us a bit about um, what you're doing on that front? Yeah, I, I actually, it's pretty much my life now and I'm just starting to write another book because uh, the frustration a person like me has is that uh, with the COVID lockdown, firstly, I went from mostly working with rural people to mostly working with urban people and the big learning curve for me was really the difference is not really anything at all. The only difference between rural and urban suicides and the suicide rate, which is higher in agriculture, is if farmers get to that point, uh, they don't have any trouble knowing how to do it, whereas an urban person uh, probably doesn't have any general familiarity with terminating life uh, in just such a blunt force. So they they have the advantage that by the time they've figured out what they need and how to do it, they've had a second thought. So that's a huge thing that I've thought. Right. But I've actually, um, I've actually, you know, working with mental health is very cathartic towards myself and I've been working either at the bottom of the cliff or at the top of the cliff for quite some time. And I realised during COVID, I lost all the exciting stuff that I do, like talking to conferences all over the world or speaking to us. I've done speaking to us through all of Britain. Um, I lost a lot of the exciting side and ended up with just dealing with individuals. And I suddenly realised that I'm not really cut out to do that. I really enjoy working with individual people. But when that's all you do in a day, um, it's incredibly draining. So my recent um, uh, passion has come back to let's do something 20K back from the cliff. Let's get out there and write a book. And my knowledge on this is is really, really high. I, um, I've got a track record of no failure to this point. I've lost no one that I've worked with. And I've worked with some pretty desperate situations. So, yeah, well I've done, called yeah. Into fa- well, been called into families following a suicide. But I think I should tell you, Tom, just the kind of way that I approach a broken person and the hope that somebody that listens to this might be able to pick up uh, a little bit of the thread. So I call myself a storyteller. I swan around the world telling stories. Actually, we're all storytellers. And when somebody comes to me and they're no good, they'll always arrive at my door. I never chase anyone. Don't chase people because that doesn't work until they are ready to come to you. Uh, You're wasting your time. They'll come to my door. They'll have a smile on their face. They'll come in and um, I'll get them to sit down, get them a cup of tea or whatever. And I start off by saying, uh, tell me your current story. And usually at that stage, you see a massive change in their face and, and the reason they're there comes to the fore. Uh, sometimes it's tears. Um, it's nearly always tears, actually. And they'll tell me um, passionately because they trust me because I'm, they know that I've already faced up to have lived in a similar place. They'll tell me passionately about what's going wrong. After about 40 minutes, I intervene and I say to them, 
tell, tell me about your past story. They'll sit forward and lift themselves up and, and a bit of energy will come back into their face. And over about the next 10 minutes, they'll tell me about when their life was good. Um, and then I'll say to them, the only way I can help you is what's your future story going to be? And they'll look at me and say, like, like where I'll be in a year. And I say, yeah, tell, tell me about where that might be. And uh, that's the ignition of hope. And I'll say to them, if you tell me where you want to be, then I can start helping you to make that journey. And the language that goes with that is the future creates the present. So a broken mind is scattered all over the place. And everyone and every single person that I've ever worked with that's got straight, plain old depression or anxiety, they're exhausted from thinking about things but feeling totally empowered about acting, acting out something. So my journey with those people is to, to, to take their mind from being spread right across the full spectrum of where things are at the moment to a concentration on a point in the future and then slowly helping them to train their mind to achieve whatever it is they wish to achieve at that place. Every time I can help them in the initial stages do one more step, uh, it's another brick in their well-being wall. It's, um, it's awesome work. I love just simplifying it down. Um, and, of course, I'm getting other people who, you know, I sit down and I think, holy hell, this is nothing I can work with. And I had a young kid come in the other day and um, he told me he'd been abusing drugs and what have you. He fooled me day one, but the second day I, second day I saw him, I realised that he was unwell beyond belief and I quickly uh, informed other people about it. And he was diagnosed uh, yesterday with hypomania, which is way out of my league. So I'm just a pouring depression and bloody anxiety guy, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug, um, you know, the, the talk in agriculture is difficult. I mean, and look, I've got to fess up a little bit here. I, I'm an anxiety sufferer myself I, I experience panic attacks from time when I'm not managing myself well and I have had little bouts of depression which um, are not pleasant you know they um, yep. um, consume me completely and um, yep. and I suppose the talk you know the feeling of talking to others about it is that you know everyone else's problems worse than yours um, just toughen up a bit it'll be right um, and um, I don't want to be a burden to others by telling them. So, you know, I've got a few friends, I suppose, who I've discussed this with. Um, I've got a counsellor that I go and see and do that sort of stuff. And, it's, and you know, and it, and, uh, um, I manage it. It's, it's okay. So, but it, it, it is very difficult to talk amongst um, agricultural people about it. Ah, uh, yeah, Tom, it's still a major problem, but, you know, John Kerr and the uh, great All Black, and now a major rugby commentator and what have you, uh, when he was playing, he had depression. Uh, he wanted to head home from, uh, on the way home from training. He'd feel on the Auckland motorway, like just turning his uh, yeah. car into the wall. And Kerwin came out and, you know, coined phrases like, it's okay to say I'm not okay. And, you know, like I've, I've talked to the um, New Zealand Hurricanes rugby team and the next day, um, uh, one of the team came out and said, you know, me too, I've, I've really struggled with it. And where we are as a country now, um, we've, we've, we've broken through a lot of that. So I think I've probably helped with it. Kew has helped with it. There's another guy called uh, Mike King. He was New Zealand of the Year last year or the year before. He's helped with it. And what, what, what the actual basis of that, my recovery uh, – required me to soften my attitude and soften my heart. And when I did that, another word you can use is that is I started to allow myself to be vulnerable. So the reason more males commit suicide than females is if somebody uh, gets up, the, something gets up the nostril of a lady, uh, she'll get on the phone and ring her best friend within 10 minutes and say, Tom's been an absolute bastard to me today. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and by uh, half an hour later, half an hour later, she hadn't only got her friend on the thing, there's about 10 
really to cut your, your you know cut your your valuables out if you don't change your way and that that woman feels supported what guys do is they don't do that they go to the back of the farm and think shit how do i harden up even though i don't feel i can and so what i've been trying to do by opening my heart and being as open as i've been i wrote the resilient farmer which was like uh, cutting a, a window straight into your heart that not only gave a lot of other people permission to to speak but it also made a lot of people realise, gee, if that guy can do it, so could I. And then that's created a wave. And, you know, like New Zealanders might um, be seen from overseas people as soft bastards, but we still win more than our share of the hardball sports like <laughs> rugby. And hardening up isn't the way. Softening up is, you know, the steps that I took in my life took me from the most broken, uh, unconnected human being you could ever meet uh, to arguably one of the most connected farmers in New Zealand, in fact, in the world. I uh, toured Scotland, and all I got from people I was over there was, thank you for opening up this subject, which is so hard. Um, they've, they've bought the franchise of the um, Farmstrong off New Zealand and, and are just starting to roll it out over that country now. I did England, Wales, and Northern Ireland on the tour just before COVID, They've now introduced their own processes all over the country, right from Prince Charles, who was the uh, the uh, um, sort of the founder or not the founder of the Farmers Community Network, from him right down. And just the whole nature of the process changed. Uh, they started to say, it's actually okay to say I'm not okay. It became okay for a man to say, right now, actually, bud, I'm not that bloody good and I need to talk to somebody about it because the old saying, uh, if you share a problem, the girls already know that. They share their problems. They still get depression as well and sometimes it manifests itself further on. But the guy that you're talking to uh, at the moment, Tom, knows how to fix people with mild mild depression. Um, serious depression takes one-on-one -on -one for so long Um I just don't have that sort of time, but mild depression and anxiety. I changed the mind language. Um, I, I'm so excited about my new book because it will cover a lot of this stuff and um, I can't wait to get it out, but it's going to be a year before it's on the streets. I suppose um, listening to Kerwin talk about um, his trouble with um, depression while he was the captain of the All Blacks of all that was probably one of the moments for me where I realised that um, you know he was he was at the prime of his life and here he was suffering awful awful depression yeah like like when you when you when you do what I've done Tom uh, you know like like I wouldn't have I wouldn't ever have feast up publicly if it hadn't been for Q and I I think he's our greatest knight ever, uh, and a lot of men, a lot of people in New Zealand agree with that. Although we're also pretty passionate about Richie McCaw. <laughs> uh, but you know, like the simple fact of the matter is that when you've owned up like I have, then that permits other men to connect with me for help. Yeah, and I share my techniques and and, and abilities with those men. And then they suddenly find, oh, my God, I've, I've, I've got on top of this. I now know what the feelings are like and how to turn them on their back and turn their problems into opportunities. I, I always talk about it as bouncing forward from your troubles as opposed to bouncing back. Um, don't stand on my toe because if it pisses me off, I'll grow stronger. Uh, every time something happens to Doug Avery in the last 10 years or 15 years, I know the language of, of discovery and inquiry to find out where the gold is. My core function as a human being is to turn uh, shit into gold. Yeah. That's what I do really well. A challenge is uh, an opportunity to learn. Absolutely. So my, my youngest son lives in Western Australia and he's got a big uh, grain brokerage business over there and he's on top of the world. Um, never done it so well as he is at the moment but he's been through hard times as well and when he went through those hard times he taught me a one-liner which is just golden you win 
or you learn. You only lose if you don't learn. And so if you sink that deeply into your mind and it's the thing that you bring up first when there's trouble, you win or you learn. You only lose if you don't learn. Yeah. Life becomes a continuous learning process. That's bounce forward on steroids. That's the story that Doug Avery has had in his life. So it's complicated in human mental health that what's environment and what's genotype or what's nature and what's nurture, if you know, um, you like. Um, some people are more prone to anxiety and depression than others, and, and some people are perhaps suffering anxiety and depression because they've been put into very, very stressful situations like perhaps you with your drought. Um, are those the sorts of things, you know, if someone's sort of innately uh, prone to depression, do you, you, you um, is that a different pathway you go? Uh, yeah, look, there's, I reckon there's 25% of the population um, of any country I've been to that could probably cope with absolutely anything to throw at them. Uh, there's 25% of the population can cope with virtually nothing and they ho- ho- hover, they hover just around a low drone of depression all the time, but that has also uh, usually been sufficient enough that they don't do much. They just do life at a very low level. So the depression's just kind of there and they kind of always feel, well, you know, I couldn't do that and, and that's not me. But those of us that aren't like that, that have got a, uh, an inkling for depression, uh, we're the kind of people that um, we're probably a bit entrepreneurial, we're prepared to have a big crack at stuff and we've never had an hour of training on how to manage that. And so, you know, that's the target group I've got, the 50% in mm. the middle, uh, because I think that the opportunity uh, to grow mental health uh, is unbelievably huge. So every time I'm with a politician and I'm not sort of regarded as being the right sort of person to be with with our current lot over here, but in the past and with Labor governments and national governments, I've been just the boy. I always say that a 10% improvement in mental health would be the biggest string that we could pull to improve the well-being of New Zealand financially and socially and environmentally. And the kind of interesting thing about that is I've got a great belief that if you don't measure things, you can't monitor things. Uh, do you agree with me, Tom? Absolutely. <laughs> well, in, a, in, our, in our business, yeah. that's all we do. <laughs> that's all. That's, a, that's, that's the same with my farm business. But, yeah. you know, mental health is something that we've never really measured. And so some people sort of, the moment you talk about mental health, you think of somebody, uh, Jack Nicholson, straight Jack to a wall, banging his head against the wall, trying to take himself out. Uh, the actual reality is we've all got physical health, we've all got mental health, and I've not met a person yet who has grown their emotional and mental capacity to the limit where they've fully extended their options in life. Um, when you look at mental health in that way, then you start getting excited about how can I grow this beautiful baby that's living within me that's still, still hidden. I'm a great believer that the treasures of our lives are like the minerals of the world. Uh, the really valuable ones are often d- buried deep. And so a part of my strategy is when I'm working with people and as, as, to, as firstly to find out what their talents are and to get them out and get them focused on them. It's not surprising, and I'm sure you would agree with this, the biggest volume of people that I work with are from 42 to 55. Uh, We have a lot of trouble with kids. Uh, When I talk about kids, 16 to 24, then things come pretty right, and then 42. Do you know why that is? Because a lot of those people that have trouble, 42 to 55, they actually thought when they were working like hell as young people uh, that they'd done enough, and they stopped being creative. They stopped learning. They thought, no, I'm just going to live on the knowledge that I've got, and that doesn't work. And so all of a sudden, the wife and the, and the business and everything else starts looking a bit vanilla. And before you know what, chaos is breaking loose. The, the, the thought patterns that I do is about um, 
dealing with your vulnerability. So the, the reason that a lot of males at that age don't want to get out of where they are is they're scared if they do, they might be showing up. Uh, teenagers haven't had their, all that fear been, belted into them. They don't want to stand out. So that's a, that's a segment of vulnerability. If you want to learn more about vulnerability, Google Brene Brown TED Talk vulnerability and sit there and listen to it. If you like that, uh, download a book. And if you're really excited about taking a step further, wait, hang out, buy The Resilient Farmer or hang out for my book next year. Good on you, Doug. So, um, no, just a little ad. Just a little no, ad. No, 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 go for it. Time. I think that, let's, <laughs> let's, you know, hopefully we've got, you know, we're doing this podcast today so people can listen to it and um, get some pearls of wisdom from you and, you know, we can make some people happy, Doug. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, one of, one of the things is that, the hardest question to ask in life is the one you don't know that you need to ask. The mirror is the greatest liar to a human being. Um, and, you know, there is the, is the spread. When you uh, soften your opinions, soften your attitude. I, I've always um, uh, run with the uh, Tim Minchin quote, opinions are like assholes and the fact that we've all got one. But unlike the latter, you need to take your opinions out on the lawn and beat them up with a cricket bat. Uh, and see which ones are still standing up and take them on board. And I have to do that pretty regularly. And often when I bring my opinions back in and the ones that I still want to run with, I find totally refreshed with the fact that I've left a whole of them out on the lawn just to find their own way into the future on their own. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, we're in the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is like an orgasm. And if you think about it too much, it'll go away. We need to learn the tools of life and they're hardly taught out there at all. Uh, we all learn how many kilograms of dry matter we'll get if we do this or we do that. But way back before that, for the uh, for the creation of that dynamic human being, that will realise that the greatest learning you ever get in your life never happens when you're on a peak. It happens when you're in the valley. It's the fight back from the valley that we go through is where that great journey starts and that's very much true of my own journey if i hadn't been beaten up for that five years the sense of inquiry which has resonated from me from that time would never have existed so doug tell us a bit more about the mirror you mentioned well the mirror is an interesting thing if you're going through bad times Uh, get your wife's lipstick and write on it, I am enough. Because the last thing you want to try to teach yourself uh, when when you're struggling is resilience. The things you need to learn at that time is um, just the fact that that experience uh, will have value in it somewhere. Uh, And I challenge everybody, even the worst thing that's ever happened in all time, there is always some value somewhere. And so a mind change, a mindset change can take 21 days to click in. And uh, Doug Avery always flies the V, the V formation like geese, because I know, I know I'll get 31, uh, 71% more flying distance. I've had better than that. And so in my V, I've got minders that watch me. And, and I know who they are. I have a relationship with them all the time. And when my thought patterns aren't as good as they should be or I've had an event which is liable to uh, cut the chain on my black dog and let him come back, uh, I just ring those people and have a yarn. Yeah. And so I, I actually know, Tom, I know exactly uh, what those feelings are like. If you, um, if, if my, my personal view is I have no fear of death, but I have a terrible fear of returning to where I was years ago. And I'm, I'm just determined for the balance of my life to make sure that that dog remains chained way down the back paddock where he can't even see me. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned um, happiness before. You know, um, that's pretty complicated really, isn't it? It's not just something we can wish for. Um, how much do you reckon um, our changes in our culture and our society is putting an extra burden on us finding happiness. You know, I, I sort of think that happiness comes from meaning and purpose and, um, and 
to get meaning and purpose, responsibility is really important. And uh, it seems that in our life, more and more of our responsibilities become getting taken away from us. Is that damaging our uh, our happiness? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. I've got um, I haven't got it in front of me here, but I've got ten steps to resilience. And one of those things that I absolutely love and it's hugely important is inoculation. Inoculate yourself with, on a regular basis with things that challenge you because that keeps you match fit. And if I, if I go back to sport, no sports team in the world has ever achieved excellence where they no longer need to train. And so our emotional responses need to be challenged all the time. And so I talk about the pathway through vulnerability uh, we we all know what a comfort zone is. A lot of 40-year-old men seek a comfort zone where they stop growing. But comfort zones turn into horror zones because the world is changing around us. So an actually fulfilled life never looks for a comfort zone. They look for a mode of travel where they're so well supported that the need for a comfort zone doesn't exist. Their mind is fertilised by the excitement of the next thing that they've got coming on. Um, that building of connection and purpose is a rotational process. So to go out of the comfort zone and to where so-called happy exists, uh, that fantasical, fantasical place sitting up there somewhere, my thought pattern on that is permanently happy homo erectus got eaten years ago while they sat on the side of the hill <laughs> with a big cheesy grin on their face. Something that like big happy looking homo erectus came over the top of the hill, saw how vulnerable they were, just ate them. And so you don't want to try to be happy all the time. That's just bullshit. Your happiness will be built out of making other people happy. The problem that we have is our fear of the unknown of the journey that we need to take. So the road from a comfort zone to a confidence zone has to go through, firstly, the courage zone. Uh, It means stepping out, being vulnerable, being prepared to put yourself in a place where you cannot control the outcome. That's what vulnerability is. Most people, particularly males, don't ever want to go there. Uh, But it's something that I just know You can't go anywhere unless you're prepared to go into that place. At that time, your wiser counterparts around you will call you the lucid lunatic or worse. (laughs) Uh, They'll say, you crazy bastard, you're just setting out on this journey uh, and it won't work. Your father was a better father than you were. You just have to be prepared to hang on uh, and go through that courage zone just feeling uncomfortable, waking up at 2 o'clock, wondering whether you borrowed too much money. But the thing that the courage zone does beautifully is it pushes you to develop capability. Uh, Capability is what is required to succeed on whatever journey we've got. And that's where your V comes in. When you've got that V created, you already know who will be able to help you in what way on that journey. And as you develop capability, that's got a 100% hug effect with learning. And learning is one of the most vital things for for human well-being. You start to develop confidence in what you're doing. So there's a story I love telling about the four Cs. Uh, People come to me all the time, Tom, and say, you know, Doug, you've, you've defied the gravity. You've created so much from so little in such a short time. Uh, I'd like to do something like that, but I just wondered if you could help me. And I say, yeah, I'd love to help you. And I'll say to them, when when are you going to start? This story is called The Four Cs. I've already mentioned them, but I'm going to tell it a different way. And and they'll say to me, Doug, I'll start when I've got the confidence. And I just look at them and say, well, yeah, I'll I'll carry on with what I'm doing because you'll never start. If you think that you're going to have the confidence for a journey, of that proportion and you're going to be confident before you start, well, you know, I come back in a year's time, you'll say, oh, no, I'm still not confident. Oh, what I meant, Doug, was I'll start when I've developed the capability. And I'll say, really? Do you reckon you're going to encounter all the problems of a massive business change before you bloody start? You're dreaming, mate. You're dreaming. And then they'll look at me and say, you know, what, you know I'm not really not too sure. Is it? What's, what's going on with me? And I'll say, well, there's four C's in a, 
in a in a patch of work, a major step change in your life, you've given me the fourth one, confidence, the third one, capability. But what are the other two C's? And the first one, the first C you've got to do is you've got to commit. And until you commit, and committing means going outside of your comfort zone. It means facing your vulnerability. It means going into a place where you can't control the outcome. But wise people have that V formed before they commit. And those people will challenge and say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And then there's no avoiding the second C, courage. No change in life comes without courage. Uh, that's what we do so well when we're young. And that's what we run out of when we get to midlife because we don't want to have it unpleasant. We, we, we love this soft little spongy place we call our comfort zone. It's bloody good. The kids and the wife, are, we're all just happy. But it doesn't work in a changing world and we have to keep going and taking those opinions out on the lawn, beating them up with a cricket bat and recreating ourselves. And out of that um, that courage zone comes the desperate desire because I don't ever know anyone who really enjoys that part but comes a desperate desire to develop capability and, and on you go to confidence. So, you know, that's what I want to be doing um, in, uh, in and around the globe in the final years of my, my journey through life is exciting the crap out of people into realistic ways to surge forward and do wonderful stuff, whatever, whatever it is for them. So Doug, there's, ma- there's a lot of very fascinating stuff going on here. Thank you very much for bringing it to us. There's one other thing I'd like to draw you back to, and, it, and, it, and it's the child. You, I, I get a bit confused how you can be as driven as you can and um, look after your inner child to, to the degree that you do, um, live in the presence and be motivated. How do you fit all those things together? <laughs> um you know, like, like I live five years where I don't even really care whether I, if if I'd had more courage, I probably probably wouldn't have made it. Uh, and I look back on that period of time, uh, fortunately, in keeping with all the rest of the stuff I've said, I look at that was the greatest opportunity I've ever had. But I don't, I desperately don't want other people to follow into that hellhole. But I know that lots will. And I also know that you can't help anyone who hasn't accepted they've got a problem. But accepting you've got a problem, I want to be involved with as many people as I can. And that process and the response that I've had had from it. I wrote a book that's done 22,000 copies and growing. We've made it to audio. The Resilient Farmer, it's on audio now for those of us that don't read very well. I wanted to make it accessible, um, short chapters, easy read. Um, that's given my soul huge fertility. And the book I'm working on at the moment is going to be uh, a step up on that in terms of its uh, ability to impact on people. I talk to kids. I do schools. Um, COVID was a complete change. I had um, 12 months shut up. That's people can't believe that. Jesus, that somebody actually managed to shut Doug Avery up for a year. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Tom, I tell you what, I my father was still excited about life three hours before he died. And I was bred by that man. And he despaired seeing me in the hole I went to, but he went there himself when one of my brothers was killed in an accident on the farm. And my grandfather went to hell uh, uh, during the war while my father was away navigating a left Lancaster bomber on hell missions over Germany every night. Granddad uh, broke under looking down the road, waiting for the police to turn up with the bad news. But my father died with a smile on his face. My grandfather died. That's going to take one hell of a bloody sock in the guts to knock the smile off mine because I have developed a resilient, a truly resilient mindset. Good on you, Doug. I need to ask you now, it's, probably, it's sort of a little bit out of context after what you just said, but um, we've got to move into the um, Rorag podcast, three M's, the mistakes, masterpieces and mentors. Mistakes. What are the mistakes uh, that you've made? Oh, the, um, the, the, the child-born mantra that hard work would get me through all my problems um, and then the realisation that that was not the case and the other, the other terrible mistake was um, 
the male the male attitude that I had to somehow stand stronger or, or further forward than other people, uh, which uh, has been uh, smashed over the head by me. And, uh, and, you know, to me now, I don't care from the back row, just as long as I can hear what's being said. And I suppose the irony in that, the less you care, the more successful you've become? Uh, worry is the most wasted human emotion. Worry, fear, anxiety, uh, depression, you know, like you, there's nothing gained out of them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm yet to meet, meet a person who could show, show me they had any construction out of worry. So when things come across my table, I don't go through that worry stuff anymore. I just convert to what's the best position I can take on this to affect the greatest opportunity uh, for whatever's going down. Uh, the masterpieces for my situation were um, uh, designing, helping the design in a team, a dryland system that could put our farming business in a place where we went from bloody near broke to well off, um, surrendering surrendering uh, to the reality that I am just a person and accepting my um, my shame and vulnerability as being part of my pathway to uh, success. And then the other masterpiece I have to say was writing The Resilient Farmer because after I read that the first time, I sat watching my TV, uh, my uh, the video on my computer and I read from start to finish and I cried the whole way even though every story that was being told, I'd told, I'd never had my life returned to me in that form. So I've run Woolshed workshops where I take people through a process like that, and 95% of them came out after three days and said to me, Doug, you've changed my life. I'm going home. I'm going home. I can't wait to get home, and I'm on a new journey. And some of those people are about three or four years out of that now. And they're soaring like eagles. So that was the masterpiece. And I guess if I went to the mentors, my father was a huge mentor, but I relied too much on him. And I passionately advocate with kids. Don't suck up to mum and dad all on, on, on totally. They, they know something, but you need to get others. There was Johnny Peter, Dr. Derek Oat, Barry Brook, who's the chairman of our, our farm board, and Shane McManaway. Doug, thank you very much for being on the Rorag podcast. You're a truly inspirational person. Thank you very much. The amount that you give to communities and to people um, where you've been in New Zealand and around the world is um, truly inspirational. Tom, it's been a pleasure and I can't wait till the Triple P hats are all back on and we're having a beer together. That'll be good. Good on you, Doug. Good on you, buddy. If you're enjoying the Roar Ag podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app.